Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Thursday, January 18th, day 104 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Don here with our editor David Horowitz in our Jerusalem office. Hi, David. Hey, Amanda. We are 104 days into the war and it's shifted gears. So David will discuss the momentum of the war as it stands right now and what we're hearing about the day after. All of this and much, much more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Today marks the saddest birthday in the world as redheaded Kfir Bibas turns one year old while being held captive in Gaza. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov says he will address the United Nations Security Council next week about proposals for, quote, collective efforts to solve the Middle East crisis. Iran-backed Hezbollah has rebuffed Washington's initial ideas for cooling the tit-for-tat fighting with Israel, such as pulling its operatives further from the border, but remains open to U.S. diplomacy to avoid a ruinous war, Lebanese officials say. David, President Isaac Herzog spoke at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland today, next to a photo of one-year-old hostage Kfir Bibas. And Herzog said that Israelis are not able to think about a peace process with the Palestinians right now. He said, quote, Nobody in his right mind is willing now to think about what will be the right solution of the peace agreements. Everyone wants to know that he will not be attacked in the same way from north or south or east. What do you think about this statement? I think it's a fair reflection of the mainstream Israeli mindset. Um, you know, we, we talk endlessly about the, the sense that the international community has largely um, forgotten or, or airbrushed out, uh, in some cases, the, the cause of everything that uh, is unfolding now, including in the Israeli-Hamas uh, conflict, uh, October 7th, uh, the people next door, the quasi-state next door, run by a terrorist organization, no Israeli presence, pulled back to the pre-1967 lines, uh, trained for years, burst through the border, and massacred um, 1,200 people, most of them civilians, in their homes, in their communities, amid atrocities that we struggle still to, 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 to fathom, rapes and burnings of bodies and people burned alive in their homes and executions. Uh, for Israelis, this is uh, this is some some kind of awful, unparalleled landmark event, and 
it it sits <laughs> it does not sit more to the point uh alongside an international community demanding a ceasefire most of the community demanding a ceasefire which would mean hamas gets to survive and try and do this again it doesn't even sit with the i'm certain well-intentioned uh american diplomatic initiatives um the, the the american pressure on how israel should should fight this war um there seems to be a failure to internalize the circumstances in which hamas runs gaza the way it has set up its war machine in gaza placing gazans absolutely deliberately in harm's way and fighting from within them fighting in civilian clothing booby trapping everybody's homes and so on so herzog is spot on as things stand uh, it is not safe. It is practically not safe for Israelis to return to near the Gaza border because Hamas is still firing rockets. You know, it's <laughs> barely mentioned anywhere internationally. So, yeah, Israel has uh, has defensive uh, systems, including the Iron Dome. They're still trying to kill us. <laughs> they're still trying to kill us, and they're trying to kill as many Israeli soldiers as they can in Gaza. And compounding that sense of, what are you talking about, Um is the the statistics that we see i mean there's no empirical em empirical proof but the closest thing you have are public opinion surveys showing not only overwhelming support in gaza for all the horrors that hamas has wreaked and seeks to wreak but overwhelming support in the west bank uh, as far as we are told including by palestinian pollsters the vast majority of the palestinians in the west bank um support what happened on october the 7th now there's a big gray area about how much the palestinians in the West Bank know or want to know about October the 7th, it's all out there, uh, whether they choose to to uh, allow themselves to see it and understand what Hamas did ostensibly in the name of the Palestinians is another matter. But Israelis look at what happened in Gaza, who runs Gaza, and they look at how it is supported in the West Bank. And they also look at an international community that instead of backing Israel, uh, um, is seeking a ceasefire, they see Israel on trial for genocide in The Hague. Um, so, yeah, people in Israel would like to be able to, to know that they can sleep soundly in their beds before they think about anything else, and they can't. I think what is very underappreciated in the international media is just how cruel Hamas is and its use of psychological warfare and torture. We've had, of course, a slew of videos showing hostages before and after their murder. And today we're running a story on our site, which is just so shocking, you can barely believe that it's true. The headline is, Father of Fallen Soldier, Terrace Decapitated My Son, Tried to Sell Head for $10,000. Do you see this kind of headline being picked up in international media at this point when everything is just flooded, and rightfully so, with the terrible conditions of the Palestinians in Gaza, which of course are caused by the war that Hamas generated well you know i i would say that without wishing to generalize terribly that a great deal of international f media is failing um its consumers when you have the most respected outlets in the world giving in some cases uncritical credibility and in some cases somewhat wary uh, uh reporting of claims made by hamas then you're creating or you're allowing or you're dictating or directing the world, your readers, your viewers, to a, a distorted sense of what's going on. I just the, the easiest thing, the most obvious thing to cite in this context is death tolls. People are very um, taken when you don't look deeper. We all are. You look at the numbers. Well, that must show something. 
Well, the numbers coming out of Gaza are supplied by the Hamas-run health ministry. There's no independent um, figures on the, the death toll in Gaza. And the Hamas-run health ministry, does, it, it, I'm not sure about the credibility of the total. Um, we've, you know, we've tried to, to get to the bottom of this, and I'm not certain that the total is necessarily regarded as, um, as, as wildly inaccurate. But what constitutes the total? If you're talking about 24,000 people killed in Gaza... Um, how many of those are Hamas and other terrorist operatives? How many of those are people who were killed because they were uh, uh, it, it, in an area where Hamas was was fighting? How many of them were killed where in areas where Hamas had prevented them from leaving, in areas where Israel had pleaded with them to leave in order for it to be able to take on Hamas and its civilian-clad gunmen and so on? Um, how many of them were killed in, in failed rocket strikes? How many of those... Uh, um, reportedly 24,000 are designated as children, but are 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds who are fighting with Hamas and other terrorist groups, etc, etc. That's just a, a, a single example uh, of what has made some of the context in which this is understood so distorted. I don't know how much independent media there is in Gaza. I don't know there's any independent media in Gaza. We see, we look here at the news agencies, which are in a way the kind of first draft of uh, of, of headline history and you see all, all day headlines coming out regarding many many people killed they don't make clear who those many many people are you you hear things like hamas claims or the, the health ministry claims or officials in gaza claim lots of people killed in an israeli airstrike and then you see and a reporter for this or that agency confirms seeing many bodies but who who was it who was killed were they killed by israel were they terror operatives uh, where they killed in an airstrike, you know, the, the the basic information is so hard to make sense of. You know, I could talk about this a, a lot more, Amanda, but you know, another example is, you know, last week, um, two Al Jazeera-linked reporters, one the son of the Al Jazeera bureau chief in Gaza, was killed. Um, it was uh, initially reported from Gaza that this was a journalist, uh, a, another journalist, and a third person were killed, as I recall. Israel said nothing while the army checked. Then the army said, well, somebody in that car was uh, apparently using a drone. Then the army uh, uh, said it wasn't entirely certain. And then it came back and said, well, actually, the Al Jazeera uh, bureau chief's son um, was an operative for Palestinian Islamic Jihad. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know, you know, who do we believe? What actually happened there? Who was this person? And at the very least, I think you have to have the wariness and the skepticism and you have to give people the tools to understand that this or that claim coming out of Gaza, by the way, as is always the case with this or that claim coming out of Israel, either because of deliberate disinformation or misinformation um, or because people, it takes a while for things to, you know, to, to, get, to get to the truth of what is, what is playing out. But, but that failure to enable people to understand how complicated this is that some people are most deliberately lying that other people might be inaccurate you know i think that's a, a huge failure here we'll go to a short break i got married this monday in the middle of a war you are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Four four. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag 
in a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We're in day 104 of the war, and as the ground operation has continued, the tactics have shifted instead of the wide-scale airstrikes that we saw in northern Gaza. We're seeing more targeted operations in the south. Why do you think that the IDF is changing its tactics, and is this causing a shift in the pace of the war, in your estimation? I think it's clear that the the ferocity of the campaign um, is uh, reduced um, we know that there are four, there are fewer considerably fewer ground Israeli ground forces in Gaza now. Um, the as Israel has has tried to move from north to south in Gaza, attacking Hamas, trying to dismantle its battalions. Remember, this is this is this is the army of a terrorist government. It's an army, thirty thousand armed armed men, as far as we know, something in that order, organized into twenty four battalions. So the IDF has been trying to kill the people, kill and capture the people who, who who are fighting in those terrorist army battalions. And as it has moved south, it has tried to encourage, with, with considerable but not complete success, non-combatants to leave the north and head to the south. So now the army itself is heading to the south. It doesn't want northern residents who are currently in the south to go back. First of all, there's, there's nowhere um, easy for them to live, to put it mildly, uh, in a context which I highlighted of the army saying basically every other building, and I think that might be an underestimate, was booby trapped, and we were being we were in combat facing almost every building. The concern is that there's nowhere really for them to go back to at the moment, but also that Hamas, which moved south, obviously with the non-combatants as they headed south, some members of Hamas, I, I imagine many uh, Hamas operatives moved south. If people are allowed to come back to the north, Hamas will uh, regenerate itself in the north. I'm not convinced personally that it's not able to get back to areas where the army thinks it's in control um, through its underground network. And it's very unclear to me. You have lots of people with great definitive confidence saying things that contradict each other. So I don't know what to make of that. So you now have the army trying still uh, in Khan Yunus in the south and not even getting close yet to tackling Rafiah at the very south of Gaza, trying to act in an incredibly densely uh, populated area, again, with Hamas fighting among civilians. So, you know, major air bombardments after evacuated areas are largely emptied of civilians. That just doesn't play out uh, in the south. So there may be American pressure, but I think there is genuine um Israeli initiated tactical change because of the nature of the of the battle in the south and it's really complicated I mean I wrote two three weeks ago that it seemed as though um, the IDF had taken control of perhaps half of the territory in Gaza had dismantled perhaps half of the battalions but the second half would be much harder and you know that's a real underestimate I don't know how the army is going to be able to um, significantly defang Hamas in the south, given the population density there, the impossibility 
of having population move back to the north. And then you do come to Rafah and another area where you hear with such confidence from people very, very high up and responsible, contradictory assessments of what was and is and will be. So Rafah is on the Egyptian Gaza border. The Egyptian Gaza border runs for 14 kilometers. It's what is also known as the, as the Philadelphia Corridor. Um, the, the, when Israel left Gaza in 2005, that border was controlled on the Gazan side by Fatah, by the Palestinian Authority, essentially, and on the Egyptian side, obviously, by Egypt. And then Hamas forced Fatah out, took over Gaza in a violent coup, and therefore the Egyptian-Gaza border is controlled on one side by Hamas, on the other side by Egypt. Well, how was Hamas able to build this incredible war machine? Partly because of producing its own armaments, but the parts for and some of the armaments... Uh, we understand, um, came in via Egypt. Now, did this happen despite Egypt's best efforts or because Egypt was not too interested in trying to prevent it or somewhere in between? Again, completely contradictory accounts that I have heard from entirely credible people. Well, how is Israel going to prevent? Is it preventing right now Hamas from continuing to arm itself through that border, above and below that border, I should say? I don't know the answers to any of these questions, but... When we talk about the day after and Israel's failure, the government's failure to determine what exactly it wants to happen in Gaza as and when the operation is deemed to be done or moving into that kind of day after stage, the day after is already here in that if you're the commanders of the Israeli army and you're contemplating how are we supposed to tackle Rafah, how are we supposed to tackle the Gaza-Egypt border, Nobody has told you yet what the short, medium or long-term plan is for that border. Is Israel supposed to be retaking the Philadelphia corridor? Is it, how is it working with Egypt? What are the nature of the discussions with Egypt? Is Egypt a reliable ally or does Israel need to be there? And if it's there, doesn't that mean that it's essentially retaking some kind of long-term civilian governance, civil governance responsibility for Gaza. Has that been discussed in the government? The answer is no. Does the army know, therefore, what it's supposed to be doing now with a view to the short, medium and long term? So that's, you know, that that's something I concentrated on in that piece. And that's incredibly problematic. And you've heard the chief of staff warning that, um, I think he used the word erosion, that the gains of the last three months risk being eroded in the context of, well, what exactly is the, is the, I suppose, the strategy you'd say here? You know, he didn't say, where is my direction from my political masters? But that's really what he was saying. Really deeply disturbing things that you're talking about here. And then, as you rightly noted, where is Egypt in this constellation? Because as we all know, they don't want to take in refugees, for example, and the entire process of bringing in humanitarian aid has been so arduous through Egypt. And are you hearing anything out of Egypt on this? No, I, I think it's striking and, you know, we're trying and um, our reporters are actually trying right now to try to get some sense of what is going on with Egypt. We don't know of, uh, of serious discussions. Egypt, as far as I have been able to see, has not been particularly public about what is going on. Every time we hear from Prime Minister Netanyahu in terms of the duration of the war, it feels like the date is being moved farther and farther along. I believe the last thing he said was that we would still be at war in 2025. 
if I'm not mistaken. Why do you believe that the, why is the government not actually giving some concrete direction as far as we know to the army in terms of goals and, and milestones? So I think there, there are two things here, kind of two separate issues. The first is the duration of the conflict. Uh, indeed, as far as we know, Netanyahu told um, council chiefs from Gaza adjacent to Kibbutzim and other communities um, two, two days ago, um, that the current security assessment is that the war will continue into 2025. It was not; it, those were not public remarks, but apparently he's reported to have said that. And in terms of duration, those those council chiefs were saying to him, "People, you know, there's a there's a defense ministry financial encouragement plan for people to move back to areas four to seven kilometers from Gaza, which includes Sterot, for example." Uh, and the council chiefs told Netanyahu, "They don't feel it's safe to go back. Please extend that." financial support through to next summer uh, enable us to to live and and have our children schooled in temporary accommodation at least through to next summer and please god by next summer towards the start of the next school year it might be safer to move back so that gives you a sense of, of of their feeling regarding duration and so on in terms of political direction i mean the the i i really you know i i did write about this but with great with no pleasure at all because it brings us back to the political the nature of this israeli coalition this coalition which has been bolstered for the war by by benny gantz's um national unity party but the coalition in its core is the Likud and far-right parties and the ultra-orthodox parties now those far-right parties have a particular vision for Gaza that, uh, in the words of, of the leaders of those parties, uh, certainly Bezalel Smotrich of religious Zionism, he wants to encourage a revival of Jewish settlement in the Gaza Strip and basically to, to retake responsibility for Gaza in the long term. Uh, Netanyahu probably doesn't want to do this, but he doesn't want to um, alienate further um, this far-right tiger whose tail he has been riding uh, by setting out a position that's different. So if he says to the army... Um, or if he sets out very clear directives to the army that run counter to the demands of the far-right uh, component of his coalition, he risks, he thinks, I assume, some kind of political crisis sooner or later. So I think that's part of the problem, and that's, you know, uh, that's just a, a dire situation. David, thank you for all of your updates today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Pod Waves. If you have comments or questions about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, Shalom. <laughs>